Hi, I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Gorka. And this is Fall Risk. Uh, so today on uh, on Fall Risk, we are recording again in the pod lab at Skydive Midwest. And today we have Gorka. Gorka, I don't actually know your last name. Amian. Amian? Yeah. Well, I mean, where where is that from? Where does it hear um, from? I'm originally from Spain. Okay. Uh, although actually my, you could say my last name is not very Spanish at all. Okay. Uh, you know, most people from my, uh, from my homeland would... Uh, would actually think it, it's a little bit unusual, and it is rare. Um, okay. uh, there, uh, we are a little bit of my family is a little bit uncertain of the heritage of my uh, last name, to be quite honest. Okay. Some people say that know about uh, a lot about uh, genealogy that say that they uh, it's Armenian. Mm-hmm. I've heard that a couple times, but uh, not entirely sure. What what area does your family hail from in Spain? Um, we are from a small town called uh, Aracena. Okay. Which is in the southwest, about an hour away from Seville and about okay. a half hour away from the Portuguese border. That's interesting. So my dad's family is actually from uh, Spain on the border of France. Um, our last name is Basquez. It's kind of in that, uh, I don't know how, exactly how you pronounce it, but the Basque region? Yeah. That is correct. Yeah. <laughs> so The Basque region, the yeah. Basque country. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> that's where my family, well, my dad's family is from anyway. It's It's a few... A few uh, generations removed, but that's that's where they. Hail yeah, from, that so. is actually where my uh, my first name is coming from. All my family on my mom's side is from the Basque country. Ah, yes. Wow, <laughs> that's cool. What a coincidence. Yeah. All right. Well, are you ready to get into skydiving talk? Like talking about you, talking about your history, that kind Let's of stuff. Let's do it. Cool, cool. All right. So I just want to know a little bit of a background on like your creds, essentially. Uh, I want to know what year you started skydiving. Like how old you were. Like how many jumps you've accumulated since then. Tunnel time. Like the works. Yeah, so um, I started skydiving uh, the weekend of the 4th of July of 2015. Oh, wow. Uh, That was when I scheduled my first tandem. (laughs) Um, The story of how I started skydiving is actually a little bit of a long story. I'll try to make it short. Okay. Um, But it takes us back to a trip, uh, a hiking trip to Norway. Okay. Um, I uh, booked a trip to, first we went to Copenhagen, but most of the trip was in Norway, near Bergen. Um, uh, around the around June in spring, and uh, I went with a bunch of uh, college friends, mm-hmm. and uh, we had already graduated by the time. But uh, we kept in contact, and uh, one of them was uh, at the time going to med school in the side, and had some kind of internship in Bergen uh, in Norway. And uh, we, he said, I'm I'm going here to spend the summer. Would you guys like to go with me a couple of weeks early and just make a trip out of it? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, sure enough, we said yes, and um, we uh, find ourselves essentially do doing a hiking trip on a very very remote place um, uh, called Lissenbotten, um, and uh, we stumbled upon what I later learned was the heli boogie, oh. which is essentially a base <laughs> jumping boogie. Okay. And right. uh, at the time, we had scheduled and organized our hiking trip around. The Norwegian Hiking Association has essentially shelters where you can stay, um, and we had planned that accordingly, but it had been a very snowy winter mm-hmm. and a very cold spring. Okay. And so what we originally organized was essentially not possible to do. There was no way to see the tracks. It was Everything was covered in snow, so we kind of had to like modify things a little bit, and what where we thought we were going to stay, we couldn't stay, and so we had to make it back to this 
town. Town is a very big word for what was essentially three abandoned houses in the middle <laughs> of nowhere that is usually completely remote and completely vacated. But there was this base jumping event yeah. that uh, was going on that weekend. And so they said, normally we would have lodging for you guys, but I don't know that we can uh-huh. actually host you. And uh, uh, we ended up finding a spot uh in one of the rooms in one of the houses we at first we thought we were going to uh spend the night in the um uh in the wood uh room where they keep the wood because that was the only place where they could actually <laughs> like have us stay with our sleeping bags and uh it ended up working out okay uh but uh you know we like first thing you know we are talking to a bunch of uh base jumpers yeah. and we're talking to a bunch of uh, uh skydivers and kind of like you know learning about the sport it's to be quite honest, it's something that I had always wanted to do. Um, just like other extreme sports like scuba diving, um, which I got the chance to try last uh, summer uh, in the Philippines, and uh, this sort of like pushed me over the edge. Mm-hmm. You know, this sort of like I took this as a sign, yeah. as a sign to um, uh, to make it happen because my excuse was, well, you know, I haven't had a like I don't have a friend who would do it with me I don't have an opportunity like it just the opportunity hasn't come up and um uh and I'm just waiting for it and what everybody kept telling me was like if you want to make this happen you have to make it happen by yourself okay uh so they pushed me over the edge and uh uh, next thing you know when I got back to the U.S. uh, I mean throughout the the rest of the trip I started researching about this AFF program. The, uh-huh. What is what is the free fall, the accelerated free fall program, and uh, what are what are the jump, what are the requirements for each jump? Like here, you have to do turns in one jump, and then they mm-hmm. let you go and things like that. And so I researched all of that. Next thing you know, then like when I was back, I just booked my first tandem mm-hmm. uh, at Scott F. Krosky's because at the time I was living in Philadelphia. Oh. Scott of Crockies, Scott of Crockies, is about a half hour away from Philadelphia in uh, in uh, New Jersey, and uh, uh, that's how my start my skydiving career started. Nice. How long did AFF take you? Um, just about that push. I think it was until October. Okay. Um, so we started hit, hitting uh, a little bit of the windy season, yeah. and I got a lot of days in the ground just waiting to jump, and yeah. I couldn't. Um, uh, and then I, I even got one day where like the, the plane broke and so they were only doing the heli jumps, but they were not doing AFF mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. And I, uh, uh, yeah, it took me longer than I would have liked. Um, uh, as most people, I also failed my C, <laughs> yeah. uh, category, uh, and, uh, uh, went to the tunnel to try to fix it. Um, and yeah, I, eventually I got my, I think it was, uh, in October that I got my license. Oh, so so you got your license. So it took you a few months to do your license. Like, did you do your all your AFF jumps though? Like in a short amount of time, or? Yeah, I I um, after I failed my C license, I <laughs> I decided at the time there weren't that many tunnels. Like tunnels were starting to pop up yeah. uh, in the East Coast, but they it wasn't what it was today. Mm-hmm. And the closest tunnel that I had was uh, Scott of New Hampshire. Okay. And so I took it upon myself to drive there and back in one day. Yeah. That is six hours there and six hours back. And uh, uh, when I did that, after I did that, I told my, my MFF instructors, hey, I, I, I did this um, uh, this past weekend. And uh, they said, well, okay, we're going to try to cram a little bit of your AFF. Instead of doing it in three jumps, we're going to try to do it in one. Mm-hmm. See how you react. 
did it very well uh, after that. And uh, uh, and yeah, I, I believe I finished my, the, probably by the end, like sometime it's like mid September. Okay. I would I would have finished the, the okay. end. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. 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 That's awesome. Um, how much tunnel time do you think you probably have under your belt? Well, um, that's a big question. I don't log. Uh, I don't log that. Uh, I would say probably around somewhere between three hundred and four hundred hours. That's a stupid amount. Um, <laughs> like that's a that's like a lot. Wow. Uh, yeah. Well, keep in mind that as soon as I started learning about competition in RW, mm-hmm. um, I uh, joined a team and I stuck to that, and it was a lot of bulk tunnel time. Yeah you know, uh, every year. Yeah. Is most of it, is most of it all belly or is there a healthy mix of everything in there? There is a healthy mix, but most of it is, I would say about 85% is, uh, on my belly. Uh, and about 85% is training. Is Um, it, is it four way that you're doing or maybe eight way or six way? Is it all? Um, I do, I do both four way and eight way. However, most of the tunnel time is in four way. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, I did, um, uh, after I graduated, I actually moved ba- uh, moved to um, uh, Northern Virginia, the D.C. area, and I started my uh, sort of tunnel of choice was um, uh, I Fly Loudon. Okay. And I started going every week to learn how to free fly. Okay. And that's how my free fly progression uh, started. Mm-hmm. Uh, I even got in a um, uh, in a VFS team. We're gonna talk about that in a little bit, actually. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, and uh, and uh, so essentially took it. I, I, I didn't, I wasn't really rushing. Um, I was just essentially going to the tunnel every week. That was what at the time my budget could allow, uh-huh. uh, and had a coach with me and, um, uh, took about, I would say 10 hours to get to my head, okay. uh, head down and, uh, uh, and was very happy with the progression, but I found, uh, it was easier for me. Um, I'm, a competitive person myself and it was easier for me to find the right um uh, uh sort of situation that i wanted uh the, the right team the right people uh, mm-hmm. on the belly community than it was in the free fly community and so just because of that i joined like it was uh, um uh that's essentially how the volume uh picked up more on one side than the other yeah okay all right um do you tr- do you travel for training these days like how many drop zones do you typically go to in a year? How many tunnels? Yeah. Um, so definitely. Um, uh, it, I do it less now uh, that we are uh, local here, Scott of Midwest. Okay. Um, I used to, when I when I joined a team for the first year, um, I used to train at Scott of Chicago, but I was living in the D.C. area. Uh-huh. And so that was traveling for literally every camp, either to uh, Paraclete XP um, on, uh, in Rayford, North Carolina. Okay. Or uh, to jump at Scott of Chicago. Okay. Um, and and so essentially, at the time, I didn't have a local team. I had to go where the team was. And so that I, I, that's what I had to do, and that's what I did. Um, eventually, that, that sort of evolved and um, sort of was able to build my own network of other competitors, people that seem that seem to share interests, seem to have the same uh, availability, the same budget, the same common goals. And so uh, I started to sort of shape up my own uh, team progression that way. Uh, trained out of Scottish Chicago for a very long time alongside of uh, SDC Rhythm XP. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, when the opportunity came for 
to join Next, uh, uh, which is the current team that I'm on. This is the third year mm-hmm. uh, that I'm here. Uh, I moved. I moved. I moved to, to Wisconsin to make this happen. And okay. so uh, at that moment, like everything became a little bit more local. But even then, we still travel to train, yeah. right? So this past year, um, we like two years ago, we traveled to Florida a couple times. This past year, we were actually at, in Rayford at Paraclete XP for an entire month. We essentially moved down there for an entire month, the entire team. And, wow. uh, and then after that, we moved for two months to Southern California to train at Escada Elsinore because it was still too cold to jump here. Yeah. And we wanted to get our season started early. So we just decided to go where the good weather was. Dang. So, yes, uh, the amount of travel has been reduced, but it still happens. Okay. Yeah. That's commitment. I like that. Wow. Wow. A mo- a f- three whole months away from home, huh? That is correct. Damn. Yes. How do you guys, okay, really quick deviation. How do you make that affordable? Just between like the four, like the four or five of you. Yeah. So a lot of um, organizing and a lot of budgeting. Yeah. Uh, it starts with um, not necessarily making it affordable, but it starts to making sure that everybody has the ability to commit to the same amount of, within, within reason, with, uh, around the same budget, yeah. you know, and around the same availability. And then once we sort of like set that framework, uh, we, and, and we set our goals, we shape up everything around that. Okay. Um, and, um, and so how do we make it affordable? Well, you know, we do have sponsors. Uh, Mm -hmm. we are, uh, not a full-time team, but we're very close to that. Uh, and so we do receive some help from the drop zones. We do receive some help from the manufacturers. We do receive some help from, uh, the tunnel as well. Uh, and so, uh, it becomes a little bit of um, um, of a trade of representing um, this brand or the other brand in exchange for a little bit of help, so we can make that uh, you know uh, we can reduce the cost of training. But at the end of the day, there is a big pocket commitment from each yeah. one of us. Okay, yeah. fair, fair enough. Um, do you have any instructor ratings in skydiving? I, I used to have. Well, I have my coach rating. Uh-huh. Uh, it is completely expired. Uh, <laughs> I have used it once, I think. Uh, it, yeah, it's just it's one of those things that I would uh, love to keep alive, but just the nature of training and the nature of the type of jumping that I do just doesn't. It makes it very difficult. It's not that it doesn't allow it, but it makes it very difficult. Yeah. Many times I've been like, man, I would. I wish I had my AFFI. But when would I use it? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just like if I don't, I'm, I'm not going to use it, then it's just going to go expired again. And uh, uh, and so, yeah, so I've been holding on, holding off on that mm-hmm. uh, until I have the ability to commit um, a little bit more time to it. That's fair enough. Yeah, that's fair. Um, can you give me like a brief timeline of your competition history? I know that there's kind of a lot, but just can you can you maybe touch on a little bit on each one of those uh, teams that you've been on or groups that you've been a part of and then we'll kind of talk a little bit more individually about some of the bigger more notable ones yeah so uh, I started competing in 20 uh, at the end of 2016 um, 2017 season really um, and that was an intermediate team uh, it was essentially a, a rhythm project team what they call a project team where you're essentially ha- ha- like you're the, the coaches holding hands like throughout the entire progression mm-hmm. where they uh, come up with a schedule, they come up with the jumps, they uh, they do all the technical coaching, of course. Um, and then um, you all you do is show up and, 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 and fly what they tell you to fly. And that was a great first year experience because that took a lot of weight off of the, you know, all the old logistical stuff. I all need how to worry about just my flying and um, uh, and my uh, sort of um, um, uh 
you know, competitive um, uh, uh, approach. And uh, that was the year that uh, nationals were at Scott F. Paris in Southern California. And uh, from there, I remember it was a little bit of a test year for me because I had never thought about being in a team. I had done a couple couple of uh, tunnel camps before, but um, never really knew how much I would like it Mm -hmm. until I was in it. And it was the night where the award ceremony happened at Skydive Paris, where the team that had won uh, the intermediate division at the time, Vega XP, stood up on that podium. Um, And I just told myself, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. I want to be there next year. Okay. And I sort of realized at the time that I was going to be doing this for as long as I could. Okay. Um, I got the bug and, <laughs> uh, and yeah, and I've had it ever since, okay. you know, and different projects, different, uh, you know, different people, but, mm-hmm. uh, uh, same idea. Right. And, um, so the year after that, uh, like I said, I started sort of uh, getting to grow my network of other competitors, and I uh, got to know other people. And the year of 2018, where nationals were actually very close from here at uh, Chicago uh, Chicago Land Skydiving Center (CSE), and uh, I was in another intermediate team called uh, Revolution. That's okay. uh, Revolution XP or SDC Revolution XP was called, I think, the official name, and. Um, uh, and we did very, very well for the intermediate division uh, because we were a bunch of individuals that were very committed and wanted to do very well. And um, we took it, we, we were one point off from winning gold. Uh, and uh, yeah, I know. And we were actually tied uh, for gold going into round 10. We didn't know it at the time because the judge, the, the results had not been tabulated at the time when we took off. But um, uh, but yeah, that was uh, that was a very, very cool experience uh, to kind of like being, you know, at the top of the intermediate division, but still like very, very exciting, you know, mm-hmm. for the second year competing. Yeah. Um, and um. And so that was that was the year of revolution, uh, and um, the year after uh, 2019, we um, we decided to move on to the advanced category. Okay. So from the intermediate to the advanced category, which uh, for those who don't know four way too much is essentially it, it includes more formations. It's a little it's more difficult. Uh, the averages are higher. The overall skill level and the experience level is a lot higher. Yeah. And uh, we were a first year advanced team, uh, and that year we did okay. That was the year we did. Um, um, uh, uh, I think it was a thirteen point six average. Um, uh, nationals were at uh, Paraclete XP, and that was the year I met uh, Greg Alden Dick as my teammate. Yeah. Um, who is currently my teammate? Yeah. Also, um, so uh, like I said, you kind of like getting to uh, getting to know more people and growing that um, uh, that sort of fellow competitive network um, uh, was still sort of cooking and going on, and um, and so that was 2019, and uh, at the end of that last year. Greg, that lineup kind of like everybody wants in a slightly different direction where Greg actually moved up here okay. to Wisconsin to be a part of Next. Yeah. And uh, I sort of lost him as my, as my teammate and mm-hmm. was kind of sad, but also very happy for him, of course, because this was a very, very big opportunity. Next at the time, Next as a team 
had had a huge legacy and it yeah. was known nationwide as a team that had accomplished a lot yeah. um and uh couldn't be happier for him on one side but on the other kind of mad you know that he, got <laughs> the opp- the, he got the opportunity and um uh and so you know we i was still trying to figure things out trying to find the right people which is very very hard is the hardest part of actually starting a team project is to find the right people because the 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 conversion of the same or similar um experience level experience level skill level and above all goals availability budget it's mm-hmm. just really difficult you yep. know really difficult we're not that big of a sport and to find four people that are aligned on all of those is just really difficult and so i was still trying to like figure that out um i was trying uh, i was i was talking to other uh, past teammates from the same project when covid hit Yep. Um, and so that year I had kind of like already decided, even before COVID hit, I had already decided I had not found the right amount of people, the, the right people that I wanted to do a team with. So I kind of like decided to take a step back, take a, a, a year off, quote unquote, not really off from compet- off from competition, but not off from learning, yeah. if that makes sense. And devoting all of my of all of my um, uh, resources and budget to grow individually, like doing more one on one, doing more coaching as opposed to more training. Yeah. And <clears throat> COVID hit, and uh, by the end, I think it was September 2020. Greg gave me a call. <laughs> And said, do you want to, like, do, would you like to try out for next? And I was excited and terrified at the time because I knew what it meant to join a project like this. I had never, I had always been what you called a weekend warrior, Mm -hmm. but next was a step above that. And that meant sacrifices of my professional career sacrifices like moving up here things that I had not uh I was not prepared mentally to do and so Mm -hmm. I had to think about it very very thoroughly but then really it all came down to like what do you really want to do and like once the more I thought about it the more I realized that I already knew the answer Mm -hmm. um and so I I said yes let's do it I tried out um I got in the team and uh that's how I got here uh that was two years of competing with next um, uh, where our DZO, Megan George, was part of the uh, part of that lineup together with Greg and together with uh, both um, uh, uh, Lauren and Elliot Bird, mm-hmm. who are still locals uh, around. And um, and so that was two years competing with Next. Uh, one of them, we qualified for the World Cup, uh, uh-huh. for the Indoor World Cup. That was last year. So that sort of, I would say that was sort of like our pinnacle um, for that lineup uh, that year that was uh 2022 may 2022 okay uh we went to charleroi in uh, belgium and we represented the u.s uh we were part of the u.s delegation we represented the u.s and we got fifth which was not where we were (laughs) thinking we were going to be i remember i will never forget the first scores coming out and we were for the entire first day we were in solid fourth Uh uh right after the podium a world podium and that was something like we didn't think that was our meat our meat was okay well maybe you know towards the tail end of the top 10 would be great as yeah. a result and we just have to like shift our gears because that was a completely different meat we <laughs> we had to we had to like readjust our expectations mm-hmm. which was really exciting to do oh, yeah. um uh and uh and yeah it was it was it was fantastic it was a great experience um that took us to the end of um uh of uh, 2022 and then at the end of 2022, 
uh, uh, Lauren Elliott and Megan decided to step down from the team. Okay. Um, and so Greg and I continued the project. Uh, we found two people that were equally committed, if not more than we were, and mm-hmm. were, uh, you know, were willing to put in the work and had the availability and the budget to do it. Yeah. Uh, and so we're <laughs> like, okay, let's keep going. And that's how we got where we are. Uh, right now, we're in the very beginning of the first year of uh, a, a new lineup. Uh, yeah. So a very, very foundational year for us, uh, but a very exciting year nonetheless. That's why we've done all the work that I, you know, going to Southern California, going to Paraclete XP, and like very, very, uh, a very technical foundational type of work that we're okay. currently doing. Can I ask you kind of a weird question? Um, why do teams keep the same names after team members either retire from them or step down? That's a great question. Um, I would say there is a value. There's some value to keep the the sort of quote unquote yeah. team brand, mm-hmm. uh, if you will, or legacy. You know of what's yeah. uh, what this team and and that's some, it's something that happens at the top. The entire you know all the like from Arizona Airspeed Rhythm, like they've all changed lineup multiple times. You yeah. know, most team projects are um, at the highest level. They're two to three year commitments. Mm-hmm. And lower levels is usually one year. Okay. Um, it's hard to get people to commit to more than one year. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think it there is value to just continuing the brand and the uh, um uh and the legacy of what that you know that that the life of uh, of that team um uh, or so to speak. Yeah, I was wondering if it had something to do with the drop zone, like, because they they all these teams have a, a drop zone. Uh, attached to them right so i was wondering if it, it was something specific about the location or the area of them and that's why they continue on with that name or if it's literally or if it's re- really just um like you said the branding of it you know i mean i think it's a little bit of both okay. right so the the drops on attached to it, it would stay part of it is that if the drops on continues to be either the main sponsor or just the home of the okay. team uh but we 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 could change the name we choose not to we, yeah. we could be scott and west something else yeah um <clears throat> we choose not to um, uh, not to do that because of the legacy that that team represents. And I mm-hmm. feel like the longer the team has been around, the more likely that's to, it, that yeah. it is to, for that name to stay. Yep. Okay. That's fair. Fair enough. Just an interesting question that popped into my head while you were talking. So thank you. Um, mm-hmm. So you did do a VFS team, yeah? That is correct. Yeah. Why did you switch disciplines? That is a great question. Um, <clears throat> I started doing VFS for the same reason that I started doing VFS, which is I wanted to... Growth is a lot easier that way. Yeah. Because you limit external factors uh-huh. and a lot of the things become the same, which allows the learning to take off. Yeah. Um, an unorganized jump, on a fine jump, no matter what the discipline is, uh, if it's FS or VFS, it doesn't really matter. But if you're changing variables every time with the people that are in that jump or the plan that you're doing or whatever, um, it's a lot harder to get better. Mm-hmm. because you're just like you, you have an, in, in a weird way you have a little bit of a moving um, of a moving target yeah um by keeping variables the same you're learning um uh it's easier and um and it, it's also simpler yeah um it's easier to learn it's easier to get better mm-hmm. um and that's that's what i was really after okay <clears throat> i uh I started doing VFS for the same reason. Essentially, like the moment I was able to transition from head up to head down uh-huh. in the tunnel, 
I uh, went out to the local flyers of the local tunnel that I uh, was flying out at the time, uh, which was Athai Loudon, and I said, hey, there's this discipline, there's this thing called VFS, Vertical Formation Skydiving, Mm -hmm. that uh, I would like to try out. If you guys want to be my team buddies, uh, like without thinking about competing at all, uh, we could schedule regular flying time at the time we weren't even calling it training yeah. and uh and sort of like uh plan what we're gonna fly based on the vfs dive pool uh watch videos of how the pros do it and then just go into the tunnel and do that and <laughs> and everybody was like yeah that sounds great because <laughs> we lacked the um a lot of the times when local flyers that were a little bit further ahead everybody else they kind of felt like um they're either um sl- not slowing down but uh, essentially bringing the difficulty down of their own uh of their own dives and so for for them to grow they needed a standard framework a a more constant group that would allow them to also grow and learn something new okay. and so they were super open to it and I started doing all the homework. I told them, you know, I will do everything because at the time I was by far the weakest link. Uh, <laughs> and it was one of those situations where like in order for me to transition, they would all move out of the way. I would transition and then we would come back together and start turning <laughs> points. Um, and and that started to evolve and that started to evolve. We started to get better just because we were flying every week. We were very constant. We were very um uh, and at the same time, we were like having a lot of fun. We had not come, we didn't have any competition plans whatsoever. And eventually, for us to get better, the time that it was just, um, it begged the question like, do we want to get coaching? Should we yeah. get someone from the outside to get us to coach? Uh-huh. Um, and so we decided to seek that out. Um, and we called uh, John Long from the, uh, at the time, the captain of the Golden Knights VFS program, the vertical program. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, we reached out to him and he was super open, fantastic guy. Uh, and uh, that was sort of like was started what started the the path of competition. Eventually, we were like, okay, well, there's national internationals hopping at Virginia Beach. Where do we want to go there? Mm-hmm. Why not? Let's go and do it. And so we started to prep competition and we started to do um uh to move in that direction yeah and um uh eventually for many reasons uh that sort of you know people move their own in their own paths and and whatnot that dismantled uh a little bit we took uh that lineup uh to the 2018 nationals actually i competed in both fs and vfs and um uh and eventually just the the, the project ended uh, and because the VFS discipline is so much smaller in terms of people than the FS discipline, mm-hmm. um, I just had a, hard, a, a harder time finding the project that I wanted yeah. on the vertical side than I did on the belly side. Okay. And so I just like stick to the belly side. Okay. Fair enough. So what you're saying, so what I what I hear you saying is that if something else uh, equally exciting turns up in VFS, you would either also compete in VFS or switch potentially? That might be a little too okay. far. All yeah. Right. So um, <laughs> interestingly enough, we have a very, very good uh, VFS team here at Scott Evans yeah. West, the Cam Trails. And I've always envied them. I've always yeah. looked up to them. They've been mild, like years ahead of me. And I would always look at them, you know, man, I, someday I want to be that good, yeah. you know. But the reality is where I'm at right now, um, the project, the FS project that I'm on is so exciting mm-hmm. that I 
don't see me walking away from that anytime soon. Uh, it would it it would just be impossible to do both at the yeah. at this level. Uh, so if I get a fun VFS project, more like you know for fun job, just like with low commitment, I may do that. Um, but I, I don't switching out at this point, I would yeah. ha- I like the, the, the next project would have to dismantle the FS okay. project would have to dismantle for me to like, uh, consider it okay. because it's just too much time. No, that's fair. All right. Okay. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Uh, I was told I should ask you what kind of training you've done for skydiving, but outside of flying. Um, I was told a few stories, and I, I'm interested to hear if those stories line up, or if somebody was just straight up bull- bullshitting me about this. Um, outside of flying, I oh, have no idea where you're going with this, but um, <laughs> so uh, I mean, we do we do physical training. Um, uh, we do. I have done a lot of exit training on my own. Uh, where uh, last year, for instance, I was in a new slot, uh, okay. and 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 FS and far away FS. Uh, we have uh, just like in in you know in um, in football you have your uh, linebacker your O line your defensive line and your quarterback and I don't your, know anything about football well but thank you so yeah different <laughs> slots different positions different yeah. roles right uh, similar uh, in uh, in far away yeah um, and I was in a new slot when I joined next and I was by far the weakest link and the person with the least amount of experience so I took it upon myself to narrow that gap. And many times when we were not training, I would show up to the drop zone just to exit the plane by myself and train a particular exit that I was struggling with, with my team, try to isolate that, try to limit, you know, and, uh, and, uh, remove some of the other factors and simplify the process. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, and so I did, I did some of that. Uh, I don't know if you would consider that flying or not, but yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I did that. I was told that you hired a gymnastics coach to help with flexibility or something at some Uh, point. No, No? I wouldn't. No. So I, I mean, I, I I did club gymnastics when I was in school, but that was, that was not, that was not, uh, that had nothing to do with it. (laughs) What I did do is, uh, last year or two years ago, last year. I, uh, I, I did have a fitness coach, yeah. uh, and I, uh, primarily for strength training and whatnot, but the more I shared what I did in skydiving with her, she was able to tailor okay. what I was doing with strength, strength training to help, uh, improve the elements that I wanted to improve. Yeah. Right. So instead of doing regular squats, I was doing split squat, split squats on one leg uh-huh. to help me balance with weight, which is a very similar uh, situation that when I'm exiting the plane yeah. and I am with one leg up, you know, turn to my side, belly yeah. to the wind, and need to like get to a specific position. Right. So we started kind of like uh, massaging those strength training exercises yeah. to be a little bit more similar. But I wouldn't say that I was, uh, you know, doing gymnastics for the sake of skydiving. So That's I'm, a little too far. <laughs> so I'm going to call him out. I hope he listens to this. Brian Nassa, you're full of shit. <laughs> Brian told me to ask about the gymnastics. I was like, okay. He, yeah, I think he went a little too far on that one. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Uh, cool. Um, you've made you've you've made a name for yourself, at least from my perspective. Like you were introduced to me, 
not not like face to face, but somebody had name dropped you essentially in a conversation before I got out here. Um, and the the way that they talked about you in particular was that you were this really prestigious like belly coach and like you were part of Next and it was a kind of a big deal. Um, but I'm curious, like, because because people like me hear that. Right. So they hear things and they have this idea of like what you're going to be like before they ever even meet you. And then they meet you. And before they ever really even ever really get to know you, they have this idea of like what you're like. Um and you're just and like this image has a tendency to be like this very um, like up on a pedestal, the best of the best, like people to look up to, people to aspire to, uh, people to get coaching from, all those things. But I think it's important for people like me and people who are maybe a little less experienced as well to hear about the things that you struggled with, like when you first started doing these kinds of these kinds of uh, events and and groups and teams and whatnot. Um, so. I'm curious, like, what do you think you struggled with the most when you first started like this kind of journey of training and like becoming a, you know, a four way, a four way uh, team or being on a four way team? Well, so first of all, who's not a bullshitter? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, I appreciate all that. I don't think myself as any kind of prestigious four way coach whatsoever, but you know, I appreciate the comment. Um, I, uh, I have, Learn. I feel like learning how to learn is incredibly important for every human being, mm -hmm. no matter what you do. Uh, that is something that people that have uh, maybe a more academic background, like they they sort of learn how to study, yeah. what studying techniques are easier yeah. for them. Yep. You know, I'm an intuitive person versus I'm a sensitive person, mm -hmm. you know, meaning like you need to uh, feel something. Yep. Uh, some people have an easier time visualizing. Some people um, just need to think something out loud uh, for them to comprehend it or yeah. uh, need to see a demo versus actually doing it themselves versus articulate hearing from someone articulating what a particular yeah. move or a particular process uh, looks like uh, or is supposed to look like. Uh, so in that sense, I, uh, I have always been told that I am very challenging to coach. Okay. Because what I, whatever you explain to me has to make sense uh, yeah. to me, which I am not shy about yeah. saying if I don't understand it, yeah. I will not say, oh yeah, okay. Uh, and so <laughs> if I don't understand something, I will say, no, that doesn't make sense. Uh, and over time I have learned to sort of paraphrase maybe what the coach was trying to say to see yeah. if I actually understood mm -hmm. um, what they were trying to say. Um, sometimes it isn't, sometimes it isn't. Um, and but it's sort of like I need to be able to articulate it in my own words in my head yeah. to make sure that I have understood. Um, I'm a very analytical person as well. And so when you're explaining something that is technical um, to me, I will like you will see my head spinning literally. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so that that's just like how I learn. That's how just how I okay. process things. Uh, there are uh, in four way, um, both four way and away. There are particular moves that are just easier than others, uh, for certain people. Some moves are like clicking immediately and, and sometimes they, they just don't. Yep. Um, and so when they don't, I am the person that does a lot of studying, uh, mm -hmm. and tries to watch other people doing it and tries to get an explanation from someone to so see if some other explanation, some other video, some other demo clicks. Okay. 
Um, because just hearing the same over and over again doesn't really help. Yeah. Um, and so uh, with that, and particularly to answer your question, I mean, yes, there is dozens and dozens of things that I've struggled with. Mm-hmm. Uh, exits uh, out of the aircraft are very, very important uh, for what we do. And they're not easy. Yeah. Uh, they're very dynamic moves. And understanding the physics of the exit, um, we... You know, we, we, we have ways to kind of like uh, structure or we have a rubric essentially to like um, a process and exit. Uh, we call them exit fundamentals, which is presentation, location and timing. Uh, and so understanding where do I need to go, where do where and when do I need to go when the time uh, when the uh, when the count comes, when we're getting out of the aircraft um, is something that is not super hard to understand, but it may be very, very hard to execute. Yeah. And so. That is something that I struggle with a lot. Okay. You know, exits, uh, especially the first year that I was in Next, uh, mm-hmm. I struggled a lot uh, with that. Um, interestingly enough, I struggled a lot with a particular exit. Uh, those four-way um, listeners out there, uh, okay. the P exit, which is one of the most basic exits that you always do. What's the name of that? One? Uh, it's the know? side body. Okay. Uh, it's essentially a four-person formation side body. Wow. And uh, I was inside center at the time, which means I get out from inside of the aircraft. And... Uh, would not for the life of me be able to figure out how to go into the right place go you know I was leaning too much with my upper body and not with my lower body and it's something right now that makes total sense to me and I coach it all the time people pick it up super fast I could not (laughs) um and I I kid you not I I've lost count of how many videos of professional teams I watch just Uh to see if something would you know light up there you know like just make the light bubble go on and interestingly enough at the time it would have been my future teammate Megan George uh-huh. that I saw her on some other competition getting out of the aircraft in that formation and I saw her move and I said I know exactly what I need to do <laughs> um so it was uh, a little bit serendipitous, I it was guess. Destiny, there, yeah, really. yeah. Uh, that uh, and uh, and to this day, I still tell her, like you were, you were my uh, um, uh, sort of um, uh, my motivation. Like I, I saw you getting out of the game, and I'm like, I know exactly <laughs> what I need to do. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, absolutely, a lot of things to struggle with uh, on a technical level, um, on a uh, personal level as well. Like being in a in a team is not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you we spend a lot of time together every day, every training day. We like I live with two of my teammates. I was, gonna, I was just gonna bring that up. I was and, like, you live with them too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so, it, it, I mean, it, yes, absolutely, it gets hard at times, but. Uh, at the end of the day, you you take a step back and just like in a marriage, like you know, like you weigh the <laughs> the pros and cons, you know, and yeah. you're just like, well, this is this is worth it, you know, yeah. this is absolutely worth it. Um, so um, so yeah, definitely a lot of things that I've struggled with. Okay, I want to go back to the first one you talked about, um, the under learning how to learn, right? Um, I think a lot. I think the reason you you tell me if you think this is wrong or if there's more to it to it than this. Uh, Learning to learn is so hard for people because they lack self-awareness, right? Like you seem like you're a very analytical person. You're a very self-aware person. Seems like at least at this stage in the game. I don't know you very well quite yet. So maybe that'll change. But my first my first impression of you is that you're very self-aware. Now, something like I had to learn how to be self-aware. That was not something I was just naturally like gifted at. I had to learn how to do that. It took several very awful instances in life to like realize like, 
this is who I am and this is how I learn and this is how this is what I respond the best to. Mm-hmm. But not everyone has experiences like that or has, you know, life changing moments like that where they have to figure those things out. So when you when you talked about that, I was like that that makes a lot of sense because people don't realize what they how they retain information the best. They don't understand, like, you know what I mean? It's not something you think about. It's not something that, like, just the everyday, you know, jumper thinks about. How to make this more efficient? What do I have to do to, like, retain the information more, understand things, like, faster off the bat? Like, yeah, it's a fair point. Like, it just, it, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, like that. I, I think, I think nowadays we put that on the coach, essentially, yeah. to uh, whether it is instinctive or uh, fully aware, the coach should be able to adapt to each person's like different learning styles. But wouldn't it be a lot easier if the learner actually knew their learning style? Yeah. Uh, and Show me like this. Exactly. Tell me how to do it, but do it like this. Tell me how to deliver, like, let me tell you how to deliver this information to you so I can retain it. Yeah. And um, I honestly, like, yeah, I've been thinking about that because the moment I learned how I learned, um, my ability to retain information um, and to just um, comprehend um uh escalated yeah and i often wonder if that isn't something that we should that it should be part of a an academic curriculum at school right so most people like we get to college level and we don't know how we learn Mm -hmm. you're kind of like you may sort of know instinctively like what works for me if is if i type it yeah. Or what works for me is if I read it. Yeah. Or what works for me is if I just w- pace around my room, kind of like try to like recite what the lesson is. Yep. But we haven't gone through the awareness of actually figuring that out. Yep. If you stumble upon it, great. Good mm-hmm. for you. You're ahead of the game. But if you haven't, yeah. you're just already putting yourself at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if, if we... If every person was able to figure out that early enough, um, we we would be a lot better better along. How do you think people figure it out? I think it's by accident. It's just by accident. Yeah. Okay. Like when I try this, turns out a better result than when yeah. I try this. Okay, that's fair. Uh, so I learned when I was at the tunnel. Like I figured out how I learned when I was working as a tunnel instructor for three. I was like within the first year, I was like, oh, I get it. Okay, this is what I need for you to do in order for me to understand what it is. You could talk at me and tell me like what it is you want me to do, but I'm not really going to understand or be able to visualize it until I see you do it. If I see you do it, like, okay, I can kind of mimic it and then I can figure it out the rest of the way from there. Um, but you're right. Like it was a little bit by accident. It was, you know, it suddenly clicked like, oh no, it makes more sense when you show it to me. Yeah, than, so you're than a visual learner. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and that, and like the more I think about it just in this conversation, like it made sense in college too as well. Like I was an art major, I'm an illustrator and I learned all the skills and techniques by watching other people do it, not necessarily being told how to do it, you know? So that makes a lot of sense, like just in the span of my lifetime, but that's, I wish there was an easier way for, for people to figure that out other than just like happy accident, you know? Uh, I absolutely agree. <laughs> All right. Um, let's talk about big ways. Let's do that. Yeah, let's talk about big ways. Um, what would you consider your first official big way like event? We're going back years now. Yeah, we are. <laughs> um, okay. I... I would say it was my first P3 camp. P3 
three is in Paris. Yes. Okay. P three is a big way program or curriculum or yeah project program you could call it. Uh, out of Paris. And that's a belly uh, event, right? That's correct. Yes. Okay. Um, and it has the uh, it has probably the biggest legacy. Yeah. I would say in the world. Yep. Uh, like when a world record is organized, it's yeah. organized by the P three coaches, and um, I. It was something that I wanted to try out. Okay. Just like I gave uh, VFS, uh, you know, a shot. Just like I gave four way a shot. Just like I gave a way a shot. I wanted to give big ways a shot, and I went there and um, I uh, I really liked it. I I liked it a lot, and I quickly understood how um, how much overlap there is, and be- yeah. like in between disciplines, you know. Um, and so that was my, my first big wave event. And, and I, I would say just like I explained the, um, uh, for the, uh, podium, uh, situation, I got the bug a little bit and, uh-huh. uh, and have been kind of like chasing that, uh, ever since, uh, big ways are very challenging. Yeah. Um, and they, there's a lot of factors, both personal factors, personality factors and technical factors, mm-hmm. many of which aren't even in the, uh, like in the, uh, sort of um, control of the organizer, such as aircraft capacity or, you know, like the pilot skills or, you know, things like that, that um, make it just challenging and fun, you know? And uh, that's how, that's how I, uh, that's how I got the bug. Okay. Then soon after, I would say like two or three years after I started doing kind of like my own, uh, my own coaching, my own, uh, I, I continue to go to other events and be in, uh, the student, uh, while I was st- sort of, uh, dipping my toes into the, the, the big way coaching world, okay. uh, for belly events as well. And, um, uh, and so, yeah, so I, uh, uh, I, when I think about the engineering of how to slot a formation, to make sure it's successful, to yeah. make sure that you are reducing the limiting factors and knowing what the limiting factors are, mm-hmm. whether those are logistical or uh, technical. Um, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. That is very fun for me. Uh, it's sort of like putting my engineer, I'm not an engineer whatsoever, but <laughs> putting my engineer hat on uh, and trying to like try to figure that out and unravel yeah. it, you know? I mean, I saw a little bit of it. It was very small scale on Dan and Heather's uh engagement jump I guess yeah engagement jump engagement jump um, yes. that's exactly what it was uh I saw a little bit of that somebody showed me I think it was Dan he sent me a clip of like what the what the formation was supposed to look like I was like it moves like the the video moves like it shows what it's all gonna do yeah so I get it I, you're super serious about it yeah got it. um it's uh it, it's a lot of fun when yeah. you start when you start thinking about okay well that move that seems so simple. It's actually very technically complex. So uh-huh. how can we make it simpler so that we can still be successful? Yeah. That is the number one challenge of an organizer. Okay. And uh, stepping my my toes on that and 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 learning that and understanding that and then seeing it live mm-hmm. with my friends. I mean, there's not a lot of things like that. That's just you know, yeah. it's a uh, it's it's very few things in world that 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 uh, beat that. You know. Okay. How many do you think you've attended since then? Like just big way camps, big way events. I would say about two or three a year. Okay. Uh, since that. That was in yeah. 2000. That was 2018. Okay. So a fair number. 
Yeah, 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 I would say so. Okay. Uh, I I would say that the biggest one or the most important one was the world record, the total break sequential world record attempt. We actually didn't get the world record. Okay. Uh, that happened at Paris in uh, October last year. That was belly, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. I had a few friends at that. So yeah. I heard. Okay. I heard a. I, heard, uh, I don't know if you would know them. Um, Megan Megan Lunston and Ryan Eggestall. They're Absolutely. out here every now and then. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they are actually invited to our Wisconsin total break sequential yeah, record gonna, attempt. They're gonna be here. They. <laughs> are in my list yeah. they i i really wanted them to come i i hold them very very dearly oh that's great yeah that's great well shout out to megan and ryan they're they're two of my favorite people from back home i actually just saw them this last week so uh, they they told me about that um, yeah well while, while i was there so nice. very exciting um anyway so why do you enjoy these types of events what what makes them exciting for the you? big wave events yeah uh it's just the sense of accomplishment and, and the complexity is okay. just uh you know, how to make something possible that if you, when you think about it, when you step out, we're like in the nitty gritty as organizers or coaches, we're in the nitty gritty of like just understanding that every single uh, moving piece. But when you think about it, you take a step back and you're like, we're getting out of multiple airplanes uh-huh. that are flying at around 100 miles per hour uh-huh. and we're getting out in like whatever six seven seconds yeah all coming together falling at the same rate yep in less than one minute (laughs) building something that we plan yeah and then breaking off and all landing at the same time it is like you would think like why would you ever want to do that you know (laughs) like why would you ever go want to go through the complexity of figuring something like that out Mm -hmm. you know um but then when you make it happen when you see it happen the moment that it happens yeah like you get the answer you know uh they talk about in big ways they talk about uh and actually i've heard this in the context of vertical records the moment where it builds Mm -hmm. for the first time and everybody knows that it builds yeah there is sort of like an electric vibe that goes through the formation and everybody instantly knows that it's that moment just cannot be replicated uh and that's why we do it we Mm -hmm. go through a lot of failed attempts a (laughs) lot of frustration a lot of money a lot of time a lot of effort to live that moment Mm -hmm. um and that is just something that you can't explain it to someone who hasn't done it Mm -hmm. someone who doesn't who doesn't jump it's very you know it's just like just the the sense of accomplishment of doing something that is just really hard. Like yeah. imagine like climbing, I, I'm not, you know, a climber, but like, you know, going Kilimanjaro or, you know, Canali or whatever it is, like just the sense of accomplishment of, of putting so much work to do something that is difficult that very few people get to do. Um, and you go ahead and do it, yeah. you know, with your friends. Do you think that's one of the main goals of these types of events? Absolutely. Or do you think that, okay, so I guess, I guess, how does it further our sport, in your opinion? Yeah, so I think, uh, like any sport, uh, we push the limit of what's possible, uh-huh. right? That's what the world records are for, no matter the sport, right? If you yeah. look at track, like, is it possible to do faster? Is it possible to do higher, like a jump, yeah. or longer, or, you know, and 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 you bring on, like, academics and you bring on research and you bring on physics like can we push can we push the envelope of what's possible you know to do that in our sport 
Yeah. And to be at a head of that, like that, that is really cool. That is something really cool to do. Okay. And uh, I'm just happy to be a small part of that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I mean, I hope someday it's somewhere in my future, something like that. Uh, it has not been up until this point. Um, I feel like I'm in that weird uh, in-between generation of skydivers where we're getting lost in the mix. Like we're not quite good enough to be part of the teams that are like amazing these days. And then we're going to miss <laughs> like the, you know what I mean? I'm, I feel like I'm in one of those weird um I don't know. There's I, always time, Sam. Yeah. Uh, so it, here's here's what most people think. Like when we watch, even like when, when they watch videos, so like here uh, next uh, is like it's part of our process to debrief our videos and watch our videos in the front, it, like visibly to everybody. Yeah. So they can, you know, just like peek over. Uh, we find that it it, it, uh, it creates a, a lot of, um, uh, a lot of people are curious as yeah. to what, what we do. And, more often than not, the comment that I get is like, man, you guys are so good. I wish I was that good. I'm like, <laughs> um, no, all we do is work very hard. Like it's yeah. just more time, more money. Yep. It's not what we do is not that technically complex, right? So our sport isn't as mature. Like if you talk about track, for instance, and you take the fastest man on earth, Usain Bolt. Mm-hmm. Um, work and, I mean, yes, work and time is a big portion of that, but if you don't have a certain athletic complexity, you yeah. can't achieve it. You know, yeah. the maturity of track and field as a sport is a lot farther along than skydiving is. A lot of what we do is possible just because we put the effort. Yeah. That's it. We're uh-huh. not that talented. We're not like Usain Bolt, <laughs> you know, but we work very hard. Uh, and so uh, we got the right coaching and, you know, like we do, we, when you put the ingredients together, it's yeah. actually, it's actually not that difficult. The difficult part is to, uh, create the plan and work the plan yep. and then the results come after that yeah I, I guess I guess a better way of saying it is I always feel like I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time you know uh, maybe so yeah. I don't know yeah yeah I, I'm yeah it, it does require I will tell you though it does require to give up a lot to yeah. make it to me to be able to yeah you know. that is why I am here and not back home uh me personally I mean just to, just a to, me personally, I hit a wall several years ago back home and tried to keep making it work and making it work and making it work and it wasn't working. And this year I'm here to try and do something new and pursue new goals. So, We're happy to have you yeah, here, well, Sam. So far, the the season's young. We'll see. We'll see how happy you are at, I in August. I think I will be very happy at the end <laughs> of the season. All right. Um, I, I heard a rumor, though, to finish up uh, talking about Big Way Camps. Oh, um, goodness. Okay. I heard a rumor that you're an organizer now for the P3 Camps in Paris. How's that feel? Okay, that's uh, only halfway true. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so, so what I um, when I started organizing big ways here, yep. Um, there aren't like there are some big way organizers uh, in the U.S., but we're not that many. Okay. Um, and I was a baby, and I still am uh, compared to all the big the P three organizers and. Uh, there is, uh, you know, there's a, a couple of different schools, uh, big, big way schools in the country. Mm-hmm. P3 is probably the main one. Uh, then uh, Arizona Airspeed, that's their own thing in Arizona. Uh, and then Doug Barron uh, from uh, SDC Rhythmics P has been doing uh, um, 
the brand is called All American Big Ways. Okay. Uh, he's been doing the Invitational is sort of like the flagship event, the All American Invitational, which happens uh, every year outside of Chicago on the Fourth of July weekend. And uh, but around year round, he's doing other camps essentially to give people the opportunity to prepare for an event like that that is a lot more technically complex. And I, we are a much smaller drop zone, and I was uh, I, I'm much much more inexperienced uh, than any of those people, but sort of wanted to get my foot in the door somewhat. And and it started with uh, it started with Doug, who right now is a good friend, a really good friend, and also my A-way teammate. Um, and so uh, the moment he saw he uh, that I was interested uh, in big ways, and I asked him sort of like to take me along uh, mm-hmm. under his wing, he was very happy to do it. And so it started with uh, last year's 100-way club at Scott of Chicago, okay. where I was essentially just shadowing him as a coach. Okay. Uh, and implementing, you know, kind of like giving him uh, my uh, my ideas. Hey, I just saw this, like you might want to say, but never really having my own voice because it wasn't really my event. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and that's sort of like how it started. And just like I uh, worked on building my fellow competitors' network i also build my coaches network yeah uh and in that event i got to meet uh one-on-one a lot of the other coaches big way coaches craig gerard um uh dan bc scott latinus uh louis french i love dan everybody i used to work at paris so like i I do know him like he's he's of the names you just dropped he's the only one i've like seen in person hung out with had a drink with like all of them are fantastic people um that honestly like that's part of why like it organizing this is so cool yeah um and so um we doug and i started to develop a recipe that worked pretty well where uh like we're working really well together and uh the time came for a december camp uh a big way skills camp uh, in december uh that was hosted by all american big ways primarily doug baron and andrew hapik uh former member of uh, rhythm um and he said well we could have you as a coach okay and i was like yay let's do it (laughs) um and so i had my own group and uh sort of like got to test and try my own things of how to teach right the curriculum at the same time the curriculum is very very similar right we're all kind of like teaching because the technical performance is all around the same variables but we're all explaining in a slightly different way and so i got to do that in december and then in the april in april I uh, I got uh, to do the same thing for uh, for his advanced skills camp. Okay. Um, I had already organized the um, together with my fellow teammates from Next. I had already organized their record, the sequential record, Wisconsin sequential record last year, uh, and so I had already like been doing this a couple times and and um, uh, but you know continue, wanted to continue to do it. And after doing these two events with Doug, I told him, um, I think I'm going to try to do the same thing with P3. And that is exactly what he did like two years prior. <laughs> uh, and so I talked to the P3 coaches who are fantastic um, and extremely approachable. That is something that I, by the way, I love about our sport, how you could literally get coaching from the equivalent of Michael Jordan yeah. and call them on the phone and they will yeah. pick up and answer. You know? <laughs> um, and uh and so I, uh, that this was the first year that I got to do that. Okay. I was essentially a coach in training for P3. So I didn't have my own group, but I was sort of like along some of the other coaches in their same group. Okay. I, uh, funny enough, I ended up doing, um, uh, 
essentially the the, the role of a translator. Okay. Uh, for <laughs> because P three yeah. is so well known, so well known like worldwide that they had mm-hmm. people from multiple countries. They had people from Argentina that couldn't that didn't really speak English all that well. Uh-huh. And so they had me, you know, me even from Spain. They said, "Do you mind translating?" And I'm like, "No, that would be great. Okay, let's do it." Honestly, I've never done it. I have not. I don't even have a. Like I have two jumps in Spain. Uh, all my skydiving experience and curriculum is in English. A lot of the terms I actually don't know how to say them, but I'm sure I'll figure it out. So yeah, I'm in. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that's intense. That's a lot. How's it? How's it? Like, so you've been at at this part of it for a year now, roughly. Um, like coaching with other coaches. Yes. Yeah. Uh, coaching on my own here at Skydive Midwest and kind of like doing my own thing for a little bit longer than that. I would say okay. two and a half years. Okay. Yeah. So are you going to be the one of the one of the leaders of the the event that's happening here? Uh, the this summer? Uh, the total brick sequential. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's correct. Cool. Cool. I can't wait to see it. It's going to be awesome. Yes. We're get, very excited. Really, really, what it is is I really just want to be a fly on the wall for all of it. You know, like just like to listen and hear. Maybe I'm not going to be participating participating in any of the jobs, obviously for obvious reasons, but just to be a fly on the wall and just listen, you know, and absorb as like a sponge as much of the information as you can. I can't wait for that part. It's You're welcome great. to be by my side all the time if you want. That maybe not by your side but I will be in the room for sure <laughs> um all right uh let's talk about judging for a sec for a second okay. okay uh how did you get start started with judging skydiving um oh gosh that also goes back quite a bit um <laughs> so I um when I started competing or training to compete I uh noticed that the knowledge of the rules was just uh, just uh, on, on in our community. Like I, I, I personally wanted to know the rules, uh, sort of take a step ahead, you know, and 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 uh, and and learn the rules a little bit better. And I started doing research and trying to figure out how how does how does that one how does one become a, a judge? You know, what, what does one have to do? Do you need a rating? Like, do you need a course? Like, how do you do it? Um, and, uh, uh, learned from, uh, the, uh, uh, the USPA. And at the time it was the, uh, what, what now it's called, um, uh, the USIS, the, uh, Interscott having, uh, equivalent of, uh, the USPA. Um, and, um, uh, decided to take a course. Okay. And, um, my, um, my course evaluator at the time uh, now calls uh, has a term for what I did, which is essentially uh, he he calls it shameless self promotion. Um, <laughs> where I, I when I, I essentially like reached out to him and said like I'm very interested, I want to do this, like please take me, please take me on this course. Yeah. And this was uh, normally uh, and uh, the the way this course is usually run are right before a competition. Yeah. There's a judges course right before a competition. Uh, so depending, like not every discipline on every competition, but usually, uh, b- right before a comp- right before nationals, there will be, it's, it's not uncommon, um, uh, for logistical reasons to have like the judges sort of like going, uh, a, a little bit, uh, early, like a week early run a course. And then, uh, some of them who may qualify actually, uh, uh, judge the event. Okay. And, um, uh, indoor nationals was coming up for the first time at um, in Virginia Beach, and Randy Connell at the same at the time uh, director of competition of the USPA mm-hmm. was running that course, um, and uh, I 
emailed him and I said, I want to do this. And they were like, listen, this is a national judges course. Most like the people that are attending it are already regional judges. Yeah. Uh, they're, you know, like you don't have any judging experience. I'm like, I don't care. I will work very hard. Like, what do I need to, you know? And so I was very, very persistent. Yeah. Um, and uh, they decided to take me in and I took the judges course. I started very hard for it um, before. And uh, eventually, like, uh, there was actually, I think, one person, they, they had more need of judges for the event that they had anticipated. I couldn't, I don't quite remember. But I essentially got put into the hot seat when I wasn't planning to. And... At the time, I had already started training and competing VFS, which none of the other judges had done. Yeah. So I knew the formations a lot better. Got it. Not from judging them, but from actually flying, flying them. them. Yep. And that turned out was evident that was very helpful. Yeah. Because I would a lot of the times the engineering, like the the way you see the judges see it in the diagram is different than what the competitors will fly it just because it's more optimal and faster to do yep. the engineering in a different fashion. And so because I had been flying and training it, I I could brief a jump before it happened in a in a sort of um, a cautionary way uh, to the rest of the, my fellow judges at the time and say, this, th- they may do this this way, you know, just so you know. Would, Be- would you say that that's common for judges like competition judges to have not been somewhat proficient in the area that they are currently watching and and judging there's a little bit of everything okay Uh, there is judges that have uh that are uh, active there's judges uh, active competitors there's judges that have been competitors and there's judges that have never competed okay and honestly there's good and bad judges on all of those areas Uh, so it does help um but uh it also it could also hurt uh, yeah. If you are evaluating a jump as a coach or as a competitor and not as a judge, if yeah. you don't are unable to put the hat that really belongs at that time, it can come at a cost. Yeah. Okay. Um, it is, I will say though, um, for I I think that I have an easier time judging a skydive uh, because of my competition experience. Yeah. Um, but I also know very, very good judges that do not have any competition experience whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And so I started there. I got my national FS rating. Okay. Uh, and then I, I got invited to judge uh, collegiates uh, that year. And then I um, honestly, it has been really, really difficult uh, to judge anything because I'm always competing. Yeah. Uh, and so that is a struggle. Um, and part of the reason why I decided in 2019, October 2019, I decided to get my FAI international rating on FS. Um, I, at the time, was not um, on Next and had not foreseen going in any international competitions for the time being. But I'm like, well, if I get my international rating, I can judge those competitions while I compete at the national level. And they, you know, because I, <laughs> yeah. I won't, there won't be overlap. Um, and so the World Cup uh, of formation skydiving that happened uh, in, I think it was in October, 2019 in Eloy, uh, yeah. Scott of Arizona. I uh, there was a course, uh, an FAI uh, course for national judges before that uh, that competition that I took part on. Okay. Um, and uh, I took my uh, I uh, I got my rating, uh-huh. uh, international rating, and then well, COVID happened, uh, and then some of the 
I got invited to to one competition, but then that got sort of like pushed. Uh, and then actually, I got invited to judge the the indoor World Cup in in Belgium that I later ended up competing on. So that got pushed, and 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 you know, and I um uh, and then I got in next. We qualified. We made it, and they reached out and they said, do you want to, I'm like, I actually can't because yeah. I'm competing. And, um, and so, uh, and so I sort of like that, that I started trying to do a little bit of both, uh, the competitions that I'm not competing. I try, uh, I try to judge mm-hmm. if I'm available. Um, uh, because I think it also bridges a need between the judging community and the competition community. It's yep. a little bit of it, – it's good. There is a little bit of a divide right now because there's not a lot of overlap. Yeah. Um, and so it's important that the judges understand the sport the way that the competitors understand it because at yeah. the end of the day, we're doing – like we're competing because of the competitor, not because of the judge. But at the same time, it's also important that the competitors understand the length through which a judge – will make a call and the reason why they're making that call it kind of gives you a little bit of an advantage doesn't it you would think um well sometimes (laughs) so what i i I will say though sometimes uh when we're training uh i get asked would this get busted and i don't really have the answer like it kind of depends at the end of the day it's a judgment most most things are a judgment call but i can apply the rules you know uh relatively well and i can say yeah no okay it could go either way whatever yeah. uh and a lot of times other teams ask me you know like would you think like what like i just got this result from a score sheet and i do not agree with it can you please explain it to me yeah um and so i have an easier time doing that just yep. because i have been in the fishbowl i've been part of a judging cycle and i've had to make those tough calls okay all right interesting yeah uh i don't know any judges so that's pretty cool now i know one yeah, what, I mean, what? we're not we're not super famous. It's not, you know, like <laughs> this is like it's also not something that you want to be noticed for. Yeah, so <laughs> that's that's kind of another thing. That was something else I wanted to ask about. It's like, so we don't really talk about this. Like, this isn't something that comes up a lot in the day to day like world of skydiving. Um, so is that really why you do it? So that you have a better understanding of why of how things apply back and forth between between the two sides of competition? Yeah. So I would say there's two reasons. That is the primary one. Okay. Um uh understand you know, as a competitor, I wanna know the rules. I wanna know not just the actual competition rules, but also it's also very important to know how a sport is run. Yeah. Uh the rules that govern it. Um, how do they get applied? How do they get changed? Uh, who applies them, who gets to change them, how does that process work, all of that. I got to be very, very involved actually uh, three years ago, and we can talk about that. Um, uh, but um, but so that, that's one side. And then the other is the, the, the records world. Okay. So as a big way coach and as a big way competitor, um, you know, records go through judges as well. Yeah. Judge, you need a judge's signature that independent on the type of record and things like that. Um, but there needs to be a judge involved and, uh, and we basically need to make sure that the record follows all the record rules said by the USPA or whichever governing body happens to be. Okay. And, um, and understanding that and being able to explaining that to other fellow, um, uh, big way organizers or even competitors um, was something that I think and I thought at the time it was very important because there there is a pretty big gap uh, on between what the rules say and what people understand that they say. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of it, the primary reason being like 
let's be clear, uh, like, let's be honest, like, m most people haven't read the rules. Uh, and so uh, what they know is just from hearsay. Uh, yep. And so... Uh, actually, I have um, in some of these big way events that I run when there's weather, yep. uh, it is not uncommon for me to host a uh, seminar um, to kill some weather time uh, on judges, uh, like just judging procedures applied specifically applied to records if we're doing a big way camp because most people do big ways to do records uh -huh. um, and uh, and you know and competition rules etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay. So that would say those two reasons are, are the reasons why I I uh, sought after the uh, the judge in writing. Okay. Cool. That's that's really interesting. I like I said, I don't know really anything about this area of skydiving. I've never really asked. I also don't know anybody that does it, so it's all very interesting information for me. So thank you. Yeah, of course. Uh, last real like official question here. Um, what kind of advice do you have for someone who's looking to start competing in skydiving? Like what? So so let's say they've got a decent skill set to start off with, right? Maybe their location isn't great. Maybe they're looking for people, like you said. Where do you go? at that stage in the game, like when they're ready to like start putting feelers out, they're ready to start, you know, making changes, like serious changes. What kind of advice do you have for a person in that situation? Absolutely. Um, so finding the right people is yeah. the hardest part. And yeah. that's the part that a new competitor is going to need to help with. If you happen to stumble upon three other, I mean, let's say we're talking about four way, three other fellow local competitors that would like to try it out with you yeah. great that is an anomaly that is not <laughs> usually how it happens yeah um so the way to find that is uh the the best the, the the fastest and best way to do that is to do so through a coach okay coaches at that stage act as essentially a matchmaker okay because they have a much bigger network and yeah. they know all the people that they coach and all the people that are being coached. And they also have a pretty decent understanding of the competitive network from last year. Yeah. Because uh, at the end of the day, our sport isn't that big. Uh -huh. And so we know each other very well uh, uh, for the most part. And if we don't, we can ask. We know who to ask uh, yeah. about a specific person. So going up to a coach, uh, whether that is uh, somebody at your local drop zone or whether that is any of the advertised coaches nationwide, right? So uh, Rhythm does a lot of camps in the, in the tunnel on XP, whether that is Airspeed, whether that is any other team that you know of and say, <laughs> I'm interested in doing this, how would you start? They most likely have a network of people that may have people like you. Yeah. Uh, and so if they do, they can act as a matchmaker. Okay. Whether they take you and are part of that process or not will depend on whether or not mostly they do this professionally, right? Yeah. Like a lot of people, uh, uh, full-time coaches essentially profit from that, from putting yeah. team together and then putting teams together and then coaching them alongside, yeah. right? So they have a vested interest to make sure that you are successful through that. Um, uh, but some others it may just act as a, you know, as an introduction, like, Hey, I know this person is putting together a project team or I know this person. And so, um, just seek out mentorship from people that may have that network. If you don't okay. until you build your own. Okay. And then after that, it turns a little, I always say this is a little weird, but it's, uh, it, but it, I always say that teams are like relationships. <laughs> um, it kind of. You kind of need to go through a couple failed ones to know what you want. 
because at the beginning you don't really know what you yeah. want very well yeah. and so it is after going through that process that you're like oh I like that but I don't like that you yeah. know um, yep. and so just go through it um, honestly I know a lot of people that have gone in a team and weren't really competitive but they like the consistency of training to get better with yep. the same group of people okay. and instead of just investing on their own skills all the time which let's face it it's a lot more expensive because you're paying for a coach for yourself. Now, if you're part of a team, all of a sudden you're splitting that cost among four people. Yeah. Fair enough. It's a lot of really good information. I appreciate you being so open, open about it. So I, that's great. I know there are a fair number of people that are listening right now um, that have interest in pursuing teams of some sort, you know, whether it's belly or VFS or MFS or indoor, outdoor, like the works. I know that there, I know for a fact there's people that are listening to, to episodes like these looking for information like that or just to, to hear uh, their thoughts confirmed you know, about how it is they're feeling or what it is they're, they're trying to pursue. So I appreciate you being so open with that. And I'm pretty sure everybody else that's listening is also very appreciative. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. If you have any further questions, you can just message me. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, do you have time to play a game? Let's do it. It's a short game. It's yeah. called 20 questions. Um, oh, I play God. this with a lot of the individual, you know, uh, folks that come in and do their own, like I said, individual, uh, episodes. Um, and it's always a lot of fun for people listening to follow along with. Um, I've gotten me- several messages in recent weeks being like, it was, it was this, it was this. I can't believe the person didn't get it. I'm like, I know, I know. Anyway, so I've already I'm picked- nervous now. <laughs> so you have 20 questions to figure out what kind of inanimate object I am that's located on the drop zone. Okay, so it's not going to be something trivial like a water bottle or like a whiteboard or something that you could find at other locations, like at other places in life fairly easily. Mm -hmm. It's going to be something specific to skydiving. Okay, so it might be a piece of gear. It might be like a costume, like some sort of costume that we wear. It might be something in the airplane and the rig. It could be... part of you know our setup it could be something that stays on the ground it could be anything right it could be a ton of different things but it's not going to be something silly like a computer monitor or like a telephone or a cell phone or something like that it's going to okay. be very specific to Scott you have 20 questions to figure it out if you are like just absolutely stumped by the time we get halfway through so after 10 10 questions I'll give you a clue and if you're really really stumped after that you can ask for another one and I won't count it against you okay? I'm assuming these are yes or no questions these are yes or no questions. okay um if I don't understand the question I'll ask you to clarify it too as well be like well what do you mean by this like this or this and then we'll, we'll move on from there um uh sorry before we start is <laughs> the, are we talking about a generic item like um a pilot shoot or sam's pilot shoot on her javelin no no no, no. it won't be like a specific like someone specific something okay. it's going okay. to be like either rather than like my altimeter my white altimeter wristband right no it's not going to be mine it's just going to be an altimeter wristband if that makes sense okay right um or if i'm asking about a pilot shoot it won't be my pilot shoot it will be just a, a pilot, pilot shoot. shoot yes okay yep okay whenever you're ready um Gosh, I'm so nervous right now. I will uh, say that broad spectrum questions have a tendency to eliminate things really fast. Right. Okay. So. Is it gear? No. Well, that narrows down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when you say gear, you mean something we put on in skydive. Yes. Right? Something yeah. that jumpers no. put on. Is it usually in the plane? No. <laughs> and I will edit out all of these silences. So no worries. Um, oh, mm, mm. is this something used during the AFF progression? 
in any capacity? No. Is it apparel? Is it like a pair, like clothing? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I'm in the in the exact same spot as I was in question one. Um, <laughs> I mean, you've eliminated a lot of things. Is it used by an instructor in any capacity? What do you mean by any capacity? Like on the daily? Like on a regular basis? Yeah. Or yes. Question two was, is it used by students, right? Or no? Uh, it was, you, you asked if it was used in the FJC, like in an AFF course. Okay. Yeah. It's not. Okay. It's not part of any FJC I've ever been part of, I guess. <laughs> okay. Is it used as student aid in some capacity? No. I mean, so the instructor using it, that could be potentially misleading, though. Because, yes, instructors use it, but it's not necessarily something that is needed to instruct. Okay. If that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Is it used for safety? No. Does it have anything to do with weather? No. I'm literally walking around the drop zone right now <laughs> thinking about things that I could see. Um, it's not used for safety. has nothing to do with weather, which means that it has nothing to do with winds. Um, does it have anything to do with media? No. Your next one's 10, by the way. Is it used by non-instructors? Yeah. So really, instructors have nothing to do with it. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> and so I was like, it's kind of misleading. Yeah, like, yeah. You're really specific about it. Like, yeah, yeah they do. They do use this. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and this isn't, like, we're talking about something physical, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. That was my favorite. Sean Kennedy came on and did one. He was like, yeah, you can hold it in your hand. And then he, by the end of it, it ended up being a beer fine. So I'm thinking of something tangible, not intangible. I'm like, dude, that's not, you can't hold, like, whatever. Anyway, continue. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Do you want a clue? Yes, please. Okay. Um, this drop zone has more of, more of this thing than any other drop zone I've ever been to. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um... Mm-mm-mm. Is it a tool to prepare a jump? No. Do we take it in the air? Nope. Is it a tool to debrief a jump? Nope. I feel like this object doesn't exist. It does. Um, <laughs> it really does. <laughs> it's usually not. Is it usually located in the plane? No. It doesn't go in the air. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I Okay. That's fair. Yeah, that's stupid. Um, is it used by manifest? No. <laughs> what else is on the drop zone? That is not used in any of those situations. Right? I feel like I've covered every area. Um, you're gonna. Your hand is gonna come and face palm yourself when. These are some really good questions. Is though. this is this something that could also be found outside of a drop zone? No. I. I mean, I, yeah, okay. It's not you, common to be found. You, you might. I don't know where you would. I'm not going to say no, but, like, I don't think it would be called this. I don't know. It would have a, a totally different name, I think. Okay. But you could find something like this in, outside of skydiving, I'm sure. <laughs> that doesn't help at all. Yeah. But I'm going to say, I'm going to say, with the name that it has, no, you're not going to find it outside of skydiving. Okay. Um, does it have anything to do with alcohol? No. Man, the competitor in me is really struggling right now. <laughs> uh, let's see. Is it used for packing? No. 
Is it usually located in the packing mat at all? In the on the packing mat. On the packing mat. What do you call the the packing mat? Like the actual mats or just the hanger? Uh, I mean the hanger is bigger than the packing mat. Okay, right? it is not on the packing mat. Okay. Uh, I don't think yes. I'm any closer than I was okay. in question one. Okay. You ready? Yeah. They're handmade. <laughs> this drop zone has more of them than any other drop zone I've ever been to, and they're handmade. <laughs> what else is in there? Hang on, hang on. Hang what on, else is in there? I can get this. I can get this. <laughs> oh, you're going to throw something at me, I think. <laughs> that completely threw me off. Um, <laughs> I thought that would be the one that would for sure get you, because there's only so many things that are made by hand. Right. I'm yeah. just thinking of any. Um that are not any of the other things that we have eliminated. <laughs> <clears throat> to be fair, though, too, I don't think I've seen. Just are you bit- sure that I know what <laughs> this is? Oh, no, you know what it is. Okay. I know you know what it is. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it you is. You have one more question, though. Okay. Um, <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to get Gorka. Wow. All right. <sighs> this is great. Um, <laughs> like you said, I still have one more question. <laughs> Uh, Let me think. Let me think. Does Skydive Midwest have more than five? Yeah. I was trying to count in my brain. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what? what's not it? <laughs> I was just thinking about the PA or the intercom um, or, you know, anything. It's of that. skydiving specific. It well, has to do with skydiving. Well, yeah, okay, you're right. And it's, it's not, not media related. I already asked mm. if it was media related. Um, mm-mm-mm. I hope someone is in their car right now screaming the answer. <laughs> I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope when they're listening to this, I hope someone's screaming it. <laughs> I'm screaming internally. Um, <laughs> that was it, right? There's yeah. no more questions. No, you get one. You, I mean, that's that wasn't really a question, so I won't count that. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Is there more than five? Okay. Yeah. Let's go with one more. Are they made by a rigger? No. Uh, I'm just going to keep saying clues until you get it. That's not good. You're just going to torture me yeah. all the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're in the hangar. They're located in the hangar. They don't leave the hangar. They stay in the hangar. Uh, all types of skydivers use them, but they're not used for any one area of skydiving, if that makes sense. Um, they're white. <clears throat> they end up... Uh, very it's it's very congested where they're at space wise <laughs> no that's not a very good qu- that's not a very good clue ignore that one uh yeah they're white um they're part partly white they're partly blue used by everyone um they really they lift things up uh, <laughs> there's a lot of them out there i haven't counted but there's a lot of them out there not a piece of gear <laughs> is it a well i have already but it holds my question but it holds gear if you have a guess like by all means it holds gear though it's a gear or it's a it's a rig rack oh a peg yeah like a oh ri- it's a rig rack that's okay. what it is it's a rig rack <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> he's rolling his eyes real hard okay <laughs> i don't know if you can hear it but he's rolling his eyes really I, I, I hard i tend to do that quite often actually <laughs> You can ask my teammates. You gotta, how you often gotta be I do. careful. Your head is gonna like fall off your shoulders if you roll your eyes any harder, though. So. <laughs> well, that was fun. Sorry. 
No worries. <laughs> I wish I had more imagination, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it's a rig rack. I think they I think that falls underneath all of them. It's not made by a rigger, it's not on the packing mats, not used for packing, not alcoholic. Not I don't know. The the found outside of skydiving one kind of threw me. I was like, I don't know, maybe. Like I'm sure there's another sport that probably uses something like this, but yeah. it's just not they don't call it this. Uh it's not used by manifest, not in the plane, debrief, not for any of those things. Weather, media. Yeah, by, like all, it follows all. Of them. The, the, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I just thought that I had eliminated everything, but yeah, you found the one thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so and then I was like, I don't think I've seen him use this one of these since he's been here. His rigs are always on the floor, right next to the packing, like the edge of the packing mat. No, I mean, I, I, yeah, we we hang them. Uh, oh, okay. Hang, yeah. All right. Well, then I don't like feel overnight. So bad. I don't feel so bad then. You do look at at least once a day. Yes. Once once a time, like yes. once a day, you're here. Absolutely. Okay. Well, um, we're going to leave it at that then, man. I appreciate you coming out and spending time with me and, you know, taking some time out of your night to, like, do this. It's really a hobby, and I appreciate it. I think everyone listening, too, as well, is going to get a real kick out of this. Um, I hope they learn something, too, as well. Maybe, like, think about some things, like some personal, you know, personal stuff just based on some of the stuff we talked about, so... Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with that, we're going to leave it there. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Appreciate it. And safe sky or safe jumps. Blue skies. Bye. Bye.